0: Isaiah 32, I don't know how many of you are fans of the movie, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, but I, I am, and I'm especially fond of Aslan, the lion, and, and there's a scene in which Aslan has come and given his life and he's, he's killed and he's laid on the rock and you're like, you're, you're heartbroken, you're crushed, you're just going, it's like, no, this can't happen. Lucy says something. He's not a tame lion. And then all of a sudden he appears again. Amen? Jesus is coming again. Amen? Isaiah 32 is a prophecy of the coming of the real Lion King. You may have thought Disney... Uh, invented the character. It's found in the Bible, written 2,800 years or so ago. And tonight we get to meet this coming king. And so would you join me as we pray and the Lord speaks to us through his word. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for these faithful uh, that have come out. And Lord, as we sit down in your great outdoor living room, and we ask that you by your spirit would speak to your church lord we've not come to listen to me or hear from our technology we've come for the holy spirit to speak to the church the truth of your word and so holy spirit inhabit us right now empower us right now encourage us right now if there's someone here who's downtrodden lord they're weak they're wondering what the future holds Would you show them that glorious future tonight? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get here to chapter 32, Isaiah is now skipping over once again what would be tonight effectively 2,800 years of history. When Isaiah writes this, as I shared last time, um, Isaiah likely did not know himself exactly exactly the words that he was writing and what prophetic implications it would have. He he would have been looking at the Assyrian invasion and recognize that the Lord had promised a deliverer, and so he describes that deliverer. The wonderful thing is as we look at the description of this deliverer, this coming king, this coming lion. As we were instructed back in chapter 31. If you look there in verse 4, it says, For thus the Lord has spoken to me as a lion roars a young lion over its prey when the multitude of shepherds have summoned it against him. He will not be afraid of their voice nor will he be disturbed by their noise. And so the Lord of hosts, and so we're told who the Lion King is. The Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. And so Isaiah now picks up that very specific lion, that very specific coming king, that that one that Revelation chapter 10 describes in verse 3, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he has cried, the seven thunders uttered this this king that one day is going to come back. You see, we sit here tonight, and I'm sure many of you, like myself, Are wondering when all of this craziness in this world is going to end when the rule of sin will finally be over when wars rumors of wars and violence and injustice will finally end when it will no longer be a part uh, of the human condition the Bible tells us exactly when that will happen and it's when the King Comes again. And until that time, we're, we're going to see the things that we're seeing in this world. That's why I don't get overly concerned with the things that are going on in the world because I know the king is coming to take care of it one day. And as crazy as it seems, you know, as we sit here and many of you are in shorts and wearing flip-flops, and it's a beautiful Southern California evening. Uh, and We have this wonderful place to meet in, albeit not indoors. Maybe you're sitting here thinking that the kingdom's already come. Oh, I can assure you, the kingdom has not yet fully come. There is a kingdom that's going to come that this world knows nothing of yet. We haven't seen it. We've seen little glimpses of it in our own lives. Last week, as Isaiah declared that verse, He was pointing forward to the final liberation of of Jerusalem. Because he describes, he says, Zion and Zion's hill. Zion and Zion's hill is still not liberated. Zion and Zion's hill is still under uh, control, actually, of Jordan, if you want to be specific. It's not even in the power of the Jewish people. It's controlled by the Muslims. It's controlled by the temple Mount Kwaf, the this, this ruling Islamic leadership. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 25 and verse 30 said this about that time, and therefore prophesy against them all these words and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. Where is the holy habitation of God? It's heaven, amen. It's not here. There's a little bit of heaven in each one of us because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. There's a little bit of heaven that's distributed amongst this earth and the church. There's a little bit of that view that we can see when you go out on a starry night and there's no smog and you can look up and you can gaze and perhaps wonder about the glories of heaven. But jeremiah got it as well he said he will roar a mighty roar against his fold and he will shout as to those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth in other words when the king comes he's coming back as the lion the true lion king and he has a purpose we find that purpose in the book of joel Joel reminds us that one day the Lord is going to make good on his promise to Abraham. A marvelous covenant that was irrevocable, unconditional. Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of nations. And from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And went on to describe the land that was given as part of that possession and that land still does not firmly belong to the Jewish people, and nor are they inhabiting that land in obedience. But one day the king is gonna come and make good on that promise. Interesting things have been happening in the Middle East. Israel and the United Arab Emirates put together a treaty whereby they'll have normal political relations. Saudi Arabia just yesterday allowed for israel to fly over its territory to to reach the uae these are all mind-boggling things the world is a very tenuous place the bible says that one day it's going to finally come unglued completely we call it the tribulations described in revelation chapters 6 to 19 culminating with what we call the second coming of the Lord, and He comes for a purpose—to fight a singular battle, a battle that we call the Battle of Armageddon or Har the Hill of Megiddo, the Valley of Jezreel. His final stages being fought just outside of Jerusalem in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and so we see the ruling of this coming King this Lion King verse 1 behold a King who's the King it's Jesus amen because this is describing his kingdom so it can only be one King that's being referred to and he's being referred to relating back to chapter 31 as a roaring lion so he is the Lion King amen Now, it's interesting when you think about this because Israel was in its beginning a theocracy. Teo meaning God. Controlled by. In other words, they were ruled by God himself. They didn't have a government of men. They had a government of God. And in fact, Israel, the name means governed by God. And so they were a God-governed people. But they didn't like that they preferred to have a ruler of their own making. And so they begged God for a king. You know his name, his name was King Saul, amen? And so the people didn't want what they had. And in that rebellion, they asked for a king, God gave them King Saul. Notice how God's gonna fix that very condition that the people caused. Because the Jewish people didn't have a monarchy. They didn't have a king that ruled over them with a bunch of regents. They didn't have a democracy, human rulers. They were governed by God himself, but they said, no, we don't want that. But a king, that king is Jesus, will reign in righteousness, because there's only one righteous one, amen, that's ever set foot on this earth, someone that's fully righteous, his name is Jesus. Completely God, completely man, completely righteous. And princes, interesting, because I believe that's a reference to you. Me, us. Because our Bible says that when Jesus comes again, the church is coming with him. Amen? How's that going to happen? Because the church is going to be snatched away by force, exactly as the Bible declares, raptured, taken to heaven. And when the king comes again, we're coming back with him we will be his mighty army along with the angels of heaven and we'll rule with justice and a man will be in his hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest as a river and of water in a dry place and as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land and to this picture where where jesus actually will come again and rule and reign in the days of samuel as i said God gives them King Saul. But God never established the dynasty of King Saul. And there's a reason for that. Saul was from the wrong tribe. Because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Saul's not from Judah. And so he was the wrong king. He was the wrong man at the wrong time in the wrong place. But the people wanted him because he was tall. Handsome powerful, eloquent. But who did God actually pick as their king? King David. The exact opposite of Saul in every single way. He was quiet. He was actually the lunch boy of the brothers. He he was the youngster, the ruddy one of the family. So much so that as the brothers are being paraded before, the... Samuel and they're selecting he's going well do you have any more brothers it's like you don't mean David do you and God chooses David you know what's interesting is every devout Jew 1500 years later would know exactly that the ruler that would come would be the king the son of David everybody knew that Matthew's Gospel records that. Actually, the Pharisees, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They actually answered the question correctly. It's the son of David. You see, that announcement that was made on the day that Jesus went into Jerusalem is now very important, isn't it? Hail, the son of David. They were actually declaring he was the Messiah. That same king they rejected, but he is nonetheless still king. God said so. God from heaven actually said, Behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased who happened to also be a relative of the great King David, amen? Preserved, that's why those those genealogies are so important in Matthew and Luke's Gospel. And so Isaiah records for us in chapter 31 that there is a king. By the time we get to chapter 33, we're going to see the king, and by the end of that chapter, he's going to be our king. And that's the question for every human being Who's your king? You see, my king, and I'm supposing a vast majority of you, our king is King Jesus. Amen? We have but one king. And so what's been interesting to me as I, I've been tracking along and trying to you know, stay engaged in all the things going on and the discourse in our public square about what we're supposed to do. I keep hearing pastors appealing to the wrong king. They appeal to Caesar. They're appealing to the Constitution. They're even appealing to the wrong parts of the Constitution. They're appealing to the Bill of Rights. We have but one king. And that king is capable of taking care of everything we need. And we need to appeal to the right king. If he is your king... He's called Yahweh Adonai for a reason. That means the Lord who is master, or Yahweh who is master. He's supposed to be the ruler. And so we always appeal to the one true king who's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's why Nathaniel answered the question when asked, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you're the king of Israel." That's the answer. Jesus is my king. I worship my king. My king governs my life. My king is the sovereign in my life. It's interesting when you look at the form of government that we call a monarchy. Really the only one that most of us are familiar with would be England. The Queen of England is a monarch. But she's also a figurehead. The country's actually ruled by Parliament. Why? Because the people don't want to be told what to do. And so they elect members to Parliament, and Parliament kind of is the intermediary. There is no mediator between God and man, save the man Christ Jesus. Amen? There's no in-between. Jesus is my king the question is is he your king because he is the king and he is the lion king he's my rock he's my refuge he, he's my only help he's my only hope you know if I look at this world from an earthly perspective it's not really all that pleasant amen But when I look at it from heaven's perspective, a God of unlimited resources that came to this earth in the first place because he loves us and he's coming again. Why do you suppose he's coming again? Same reason. He loves us. And so he's not going to let this mess that is the world last forever the way it is currently constructed. He's coming back to rule and reign in righteousness, exactly what Isaiah is saying here. It's not always gonna be like this, church. You're not always gonna have the fears that you have right now. One day he's gonna wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, no more dying. There'll be no injustice. Verse three, and the eyes of those who see will not be dim, and the ears of those who hear will listen, and the heart of the rash will understand knowledge And the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly here's some of the results of the rule of this king and as you look at these things what david said what samuel recorded in second samuel was the one that rules over the nation israel has to be just our every Thursday evening helicopter wave our king is just our king will rule so that we have the fear of God you know I think one of the major problems that we face in our country is people no longer have a fear of God They fear all kinds of things. They fear poverty. They fear politics and politicians. They fear many things. But they don't have the one kind of fear that the Bible says is the beginning of understanding and knowledge, wisdom itself. That's the fear of the Lord. We'd be a whole lot smarter and a whole lot brighter if we had more fear of the Lord. And so the results of the rule of this king are actually pretty easy to see. Isaiah ministered in a time when Israel had become completely spiritually deaf. They were blind. And they were allowing people who had no concept of righteousness to rule over them. Carnal people. Their heroes were people that they shouldn't have even had anything to do with and i want to speak to this issue in our lives in our day and time we need to be careful who we worship the the church should be worshiping the one true king the church should not be worshiping celebrities the church should not be worshiping athletes as wonderful as it is to to watch sports if you happen to be a person who loves sports as glorious it is to watch someone who has the gift of acting and they pull off some part that you just look at and you're just completely sucked in because it's real they are not worthy of your worship as great a basketball player as lebron james is he is not worthy of your worship as great a golfer as Tiger Woods is. I love the game of golf. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll actually be really good at it. Until then, not so much. But I don't worship Tiger Woods. You've got to be careful who you worship. You have to assign that to only one who's worthy of it. And during Isaiah's time, the people were blind, they worshiped the wrong people, they were deaf, they listened to the wrong people. I'm shocked sometimes at where the church gets its information. We wander around with our heads stuffed full of things from people who have nothing but their own interest in mind. And I'm not trying to report that every actor or every actress or every sports figure or every politician is inherently evil that is certainly not true but i am telling you that as far as we're concerned the church we should be looking for righteous rulers and righteous rulers only that's why your vote matters church and if you're not voting christ first if you're not putting your faith into every single ballot that you cast if you are not listening to the lord for the selections of those people that you are going to entrust with your daily lives then you are missing it we need to start with righteousness that's who's supposed to rule god's people and nothing else that's not political persuasion that's not your particular bent on how you believe life ought to go That is righteousness and righteousness alone. That is how you cast your vote. That is who is supposed to rule over you, righteousness. Amen? Don't forget that. Because the voices are doing this and God's going, that's not me. Notice verse five. And I'm gonna give you five different versions, all English translations with a little bit different take based on the word that's found here in the New King James they're the miser it says the foolish person will no longer be called generous nor the miser said to be bountiful for in that day ungodly fools will not be heroes the New Living says scoundrels will not be respected the King James says the vile person shall no longer be called liberal nor the churl said to be bountiful. The New American Standard says it this way, the fool shall no longer be called noble, and the churl bountiful. And I love the Living Bible in this particular verse. It says, wealthy cheaters will not be spoken of as generous, outstanding men. Everyone will recognize an evil man when he sees him, and hypocrites will fool no one at all. Anybody looking forward to that day? One of the problems that we have in our country is we have allowed fools to rule over us. We have cast votes for people and put them in office. We've hired our own Saul, so to speak. This word is translated hypocrites, churl, scoundrels, miser, the exact same word Is translated celebrity that's interesting to me someone that the world looks up to for all the wrong reasons someone who's fake someone who's well-off someone who purports to have a voice we need to stop listening to these people and start listening to the Lord amen because they have a loud voice. They're the ones that have the microphone, so to speak, in your life very often. They're the ones that are constantly on talk radio. They're the ones that are on television. They're the ones that are in newsprint. They're the ones that are on the internet. They're the ones that have millions of followers. I'm shocked at how many people can quote Taylor Swift but can't quote their Bible. And they name the name of Jesus. They know everything that happens on TikTok, but they haven't got a clue what happens in heaven. It's time the church woke up to this reality. In Isaiah's day, the people worshiped the rich and famous, and it came back to bite them big time. We need to be careful, church. We have an awful lot of people running around purporting to be experts on Christian faith who I'm not actually sure, and I'm not judging their heart because I don't know for sure. But I think if you're getting your theology from Justin Bieber, you probably ought to go someplace else. You know, if you're one of those people that just, you know, absolutely has to find out what spiritually an actor or an actress is doing and you think you ought to model your life after you probably want to think again and again i'm not questioning their salvation matter of fact i happen to believe that justin bieber has given his life to the lord but he's certainly not a theologian he's working out his own salvation right now with fear and trembling It's like I have people going, oh, you know, you just do that. No, why don't we just be righteous, be holy as he is holy, do what God's asked us to do. That viewpoint that is very often called the liberal viewpoint, and I want to be careful here. It's not that every idea that comes from a liberal understanding is inherently wrong. But what's being said here is those people that align themselves actually with evil. When you align yourself with people who care nothing about God or his word, that is evil. Be careful. Because you can get sucked into that thinking for political reasons. And pretty soon you hold viewpoints that you didn't know you held. That's what was happening in isaiah's day verse six for the foolish person will speak foolishness isn't it weird in our society we can't tell who's foolish and who isn't why because we've let fools infiltrate our public discourse people who don't speak the truth there's not a stitch of righteousness in them but they're really smart they're so smart that they're dumb because their trust is in themselves. It's not in the Lord. And the church needs to be listening to the Lord. And hear his heart and will work iniquity to practice ungodliness. This is the same person that's called the celebrity in the previous verses. The person that maybe you look at and go, you know, I just wanna be like Kanye. I pray not. And again, I believe Kanye West has given his life to the Lord. From what I've heard, what I've listened to, I'm not debating his salvation in the slightest pit. But a theologian, he is not. Someone who studied God's word, he is not. I don't get my theology from tuning into Kanye's Instagram. Blobs and go, man, you know, what's Kanye doing? We're going to do that. As much as I care for his soul, it's like I'm not going to follow him in following Christ. You still look at an awful lot of his life and it's like, mm, I don't think that's righteousness. The utter error against the Lord. To keep the hungry unsatisfied and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail you you see when you get into this anti-god mindset when, when you begin to talk you can adopt Christian phrases to where people think you're speaking Christianese when in fact you're not speaking anything Christian at all Did you know that Mormons actually use the phrase born again? But it can apply this way. That's someone who will be prayed out of the third level of heaven, which is the equivalent to hell, by living Mormons because they were not a Mormon when they died. You see, so if you walk up to somebody and they happen to be a Mormon, you go, are you born again? They'll go, yep, I'm born again. What does that mean? Well, they were sealed in a temple ceremony. You see, you got to be careful. Is it attached to the righteousness of the one true king or is it not? Is it truth or is it not? You got to be careful, church. We have to get our terminology from the word and not from people who are dealing selfishly and self-serving in the way that they say it. So verse 6 basically says they seek to utter error against the Lord. There are a lot of people who are famous who utter error against the Lord. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful with whom you get your theology, your understanding of who God is. There are people who are fabulously wealthy, prominent ministries that also don't preach Christ and him crucified as the only way to get to heaven. And I'll leave their names out, but you can find them on TBN. You can watch their programs. You you can see these massive crowds. but they're teaching false doctrine. Not everyone goes to heaven. It's a nice sentiment. I wish it were true, personally, but it's not. It is only those that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that are saved, period. Dot, 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 amen? It's not because you lived your best life now. It's because he gave his life so that you could have heaven later. This is not heaven. And this is not his kingdom as it will be. This is earth and it's a battleground. In that day when the Lion King finally comes to rule, these people are going to be known for exactly who they are. Notice the concerns that the king has. The concerns of the coming king as he does rule. Verse 7. Also the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans. Now I want you, look at how this applies today. To destroy the poor with lying words. That is what evil people do. The Lion King's coming to take care of that. He's coming to deal with, notice what it says next, even when the needy speaks justice. The Lion King's coming to take care of the injustice that's in our world. God hates injustice. He literally hates it. The book of Leviticus declares that. It's part of the way of life for the Jewish people but a generous man devises generous things and by generous generosity shall stand God is generous generosity actually flows from the heart of God inequity comes from the devil injustice comes from the devil brutality comes from the devil violence comes from the devil those things are all from the pit of hell And so when you're practicing violence or you're practicing injustice, when you're practicing racism, when you are practicing depriving the poor of their basic daily necessities, you are practicing evil. That's why the church is supposed to invade every part of our governance because we need righteousness there, and it's God's people that understand what that actually is. Injustice will only be solved by the rule of the king. It won't be solved by political maneuvering. Now, we can set up laws that will help with those things, but ultimately, it's a human heart issue. And the human heart is deceitful, it's desperately wicked, and who can know it? That's still true. And so unless we change the heart of man, we'll never change the actions of man. That's why this king that's coming is going to bring something that we already understand as believers. Instead of having unjust lying thieves as leaders, that's what Israel had. Sounds kind of familiar at times, doesn't it? It's mind-boggling the self-serving that goes on in government, the self-dealing that goes on in government, the absolute inequity, the inability to look at the world through a singular lens. There is the haves and the have-nots. God doesn't see the world that way. God sees us as his own precious beloved children and he's good and he's generous. All I can tell you is when the king comes, those politicians that have been double dealing, stealing your kid's inheritance, those that have been fostering racial injustice, you better get squared away with Jesus because the king's coming. He's gonna set it straight. You're not going to put up with it forever. So my suggestion to the world is right now, we might want to try and fix that problem now unless the king has to come back and do it himself, because he will. He will, and is going to. Verse 9, rise up. This is going to get a little PG-13 here. And I will keep it at least that or less rise up you women who are at ease hear my voice you complacent daughters give ear to my speech in a year and some days you'll be troubled you complacent women so this is speaking of what would actually happen in a year and a few days Jerusalem would fall but it's speaking ahead into time you will be troubled you complacent women for the vintage will fail. It's saying your beauty's gonna fade. It's a euphemism. You're gonna need some work done. That's how we'd see that in the news today. The gathering will not come. You'll no longer be attractive to those guys at the club. The men in town, tremble you women who are at ease, be troubled you complacent ones, strip yourselves bare, gird with sackcloth your waists, people shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields and for the fruitful vine, for the days when all of that pleasure of their sexuality was the thing along with wealth often comes promiscuity Uh, along with wealth comes ease and with ease comes a lack of attention to spiritual things on the land of my people will come up thorns and briars and yes on happy homes and in the joyous city because the palaces will be forsaken the bustling city deserted the forts and the towers will become layers forever the joy of a wild donkey and a pasture for flocks isaiah turns his attention to the women of jerusalem now understand that in this culture and at that time sexual sin was considered a tremendous transgression against god far more so than it is in our culture today. Adultery was a crime that was punishable by the death of both the man and the woman. So let's make sure you understand the context as Isaiah writes these things. And if he chose to write those things in a time when things were, shall we say, a whole bunch less sexualized, then how do you think they would apply today? Isaiah is basically saying, look, when you objectify women, when you become so morally corrupt that the women are no longer the barometer of the the nation, when they're no longer the thermostat that guides the temperature in the nation, because men are inherently more carnal than women. And I want to be careful I am not in any way, shape, or form, repeat, not in any way, shape, or form condoning misogynism or chauvinism or any kind of abuse or anyone not being responsible for their own sin. Everyone sins when he's drawn away by his own lust and his own desires to give birth and sends the result of that. Death comes after that. That's what the Bible says about it but let's also be real about this particular subject. If you were to go back a scant 30 years, there was no such thing as pornography that was pointed at women. You know why? Women didn't want to have anything to do with it. If you were to go back 50 years, in most states in the United States of America, divorce was still a crime. Adultery was a crime pornography was illegal. Isaiah's giving a warning, and it looks forward into our time, and maybe it's a warning the world needs right now. Because in a general sense, you ladies have actually been the protection of an awful lot of men from getting into trouble. and I'm speaking to no one personally that's sitting here tonight nor listening online or anyone who's watching this later. I do not know your circumstance or situation, but I will tell you this. Being a man, I have talked to a lot of men, and most men will tell you the same thing. Men will go about as far as you ladies will let them. And so, when it gets to that place and time in human history, and you can ask the Greeks, you can ask the Romans, you can ask the Phoenicians, you can ask the Medes and the Persians, you can ask almost every major civilization throughout the history of humankind on this earth, and you're gonna find the same thing to be true. When you ladies become shall we say, as permissive as guys are, and it's not okay in either gender, we are in trouble. And by we, I mean the country. I mean the world. That's what the Bible is saying. Isaiah speaking to the lady says, this is gonna go really bad for you. Oh, you used to think you were beautiful. It was great when all the guys were oogling and looking at you and paying attention to you, and you could get what you wanted simply by batting a couple of eyes. But the Bible pulls no punches on this subject matter. A defiled and a corrupt womanhood means the nation is in serious trouble. It doesn't excuse the defiled nature of man. It doesn't excuse man or woman's role in any of this. It just simply means that you do not have to go back very far. And you can see exactly how far this country has come. Nudity was illegal in this country in every form of media when I was in high school. It was illegal. certainly not the case now we need to pray for our kids we need to beseech the king of heaven for our children in Isaiah's time that great moral decay would cause her downfall I believe there's time to right the ship personally I believe that repentance is what God wants no father's around because there's no relationship those children became orphans sound familiar that's what happened during Isaiah's time children were orphans because they weren't part of any family I wonder how many of our social problems are actually caused by this the destruction of the nuclear family. Well, we'll just live together. I know I'm getting a little preachy here, but I think we need to hear it. I think we need to hear it. It is not okay for you to not be married. It's not okay with God. It's not okay for you to think that just because you can make children means that you can raise children. God designed the human family to have a mother and a father and then have children. Not children and then figure out if you wanna be a family. I believe it is a grave problem in many of our communities. It's a grave problem. Why? Because young men don't know how to be young men when they don't have a father in the home young women don't know how to be young women unless they've got a mother in the home it's pretty simple it's not hard to figure out God knew that and enshrines it in his word this is my plan for human sexuality It is a mom and a dad who love each other and then raise children in that loving environment from the cradle to the grave make no mistake that is what the Bible says that's not for us to change we don't have the right to pass laws that go against God we do it but it isn't going to change the truth the truth is still the truth and I think the church needs to understand that the lion is coming And if we don't stand, we're gonna bear some responsibility for that moral decay. That's why you need to vote for politicians that hold biblical views on everything, especially morality. I've been asked many times to endorse certain political candidates. You know what my number one reason for not doing that is? Their morality. I look at their morality They don't hold the biblical morality. Why would I think that they could judge or rule on anything else? We need to get it right and stop playing with fire. Before the end of this siege, God's going to deliver Jerusalem. But all these women sacrificed everything to get there. I don't want to see that be the end of our nation. conditions. Notice verse 15 and we'll wrap it up with this. Until the Spirit is poured out from upon us from on high. How is the Spirit poured out on anyone? It's by receiving Christ as your Savior. That's the first step. Amen? Without Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is no Spirit in you. You can't have one without the other. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. You're in, you're out. You're a sheep, you're a goat. You are a child of God or you're a child of the devil. That's what the Bible says. I know there are people watching, I can't believe you said that. No, the Bible says that. Jesus himself said that. You are either for me or you are against me. Amen? The only way the Holy Spirit comes in you is by Christ saving you. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in. So this is speaking of salvation. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. You see, my field used to be a wilderness until I met Jesus, amen? Then my field got fruitful. That's how you can bear fruit, amen? That's how you get attached to the vine, amen? You see the principle here? And then the fruitful field was counted as a forest. Isn't that what Jesus said? It is my Father's desire that you bear fruit and ultimately Much fruit, more fruit, and then abundant fruit, amen? That's a fruity field becoming a forest. This is speaking of the Jewish people coming to faith in Messiah. And then justice will dwell in the wilderness. The only way that you get justice is if a just king rules, a righteous king rules. And righteousness will remain in that fruitful field. You can see how this is all attached to knowing the one true king, the Lion King. The work of righteousness will be peace. That's what Isaiah said back in chapter 9, amen? The government will be upon his shoulder. And he will be the prince of peace, amen? His kingdom is a kingdom of peace, amen? You can't have these things without having Jesus. Well, you can feign it. You can fake it. You can try and tell people you have it. But real peace comes from the prince of peace. The only place it comes from and the effect of righteousness the quietness and the assurance look for how long it happens forever what kind of life does a believer have It's eternal life amen how long is eternal life forever it's forever and ever and ever and ever it doesn't have an end this is talking about the result of you being saved that's the condition you're either going to be part of the Lion King's kingdom or you're going to be the fodder for the battle. My people will dwell in peaceful habitation and secure dwellings in quiet resting places. And through hail, though hail comes down on the forest, the city brought low by humiliation, blessed are you who sow beside the waters, who send out freely at, at the feet of the, the donkey and the ox this is speaking of a future time because none of these things happened to israel in 701 bc israel's is still not a christian nation there are jewish believers to be sure i have a dear friend who is one but the truth of the matter is the king's still going to come and finish up this work that's the reason joel said That the end would come to deal with the the injustice that's been poured out upon Israel. You want to talk about injustice? We can't talk about injustice without talking about the injustice that's happened to the Jewish people. It's not even possible. You can't have that conversation without talking about that. So there's been injustice in the world for a very long time. The one true king is going to fix that. He can fix it everywhere for everyone, and he wants to. And in us, he does it one person at a time. Isn't it amazing? When you talk to people who also love the Lord and you're having a conversation about him, have you ever noticed how everything gets equaled out and all of a sudden you're in the same family? Just like you have different family members with different abilities, so we have different members in the body of Christ with different abilities different needs different gifts paul actually said that not everyone has the same gifts but we need each other amen and so this is speaking of the coming king's rule because of the outpouring of the spirit because of salvation the future result joel says they're in Verse 6 of chapter 1, For the nation has come up against my land strong without number, and his teeth are the teeth of the lion, and his fangs of a fierce lion. And finally, Joel says in chapter 2 uh, of his three-chapter prophecy in verse 28, it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men see visions. He will pour out his spirit in the very last days Isaiah saw those days too Isaiah knew they were coming Zechariah knew they were coming in chapter 15 and in chapter 12 Ezekiel knew they were coming in chapter 36 Ezekiel says it this way He says I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you what happens to you when you come to faith in Christ You get a new heart, amen? You also get a new mind. You get a spirit within you. Ezekiel would go on to say, and you'll walk in my statutes, you'll keep my judgments. When the Lion King comes, these things are all going to happen. I can't wait. I can't wait. Now here's the good news. The really good news you can have that peace today the whole world may come unglued but you can have that peace today every believer can have that peace today right now we can walk in the spirit not fulfill the desires of our flesh We can have the Spirit poured out on us individually right now from on high. We can even gather together and experience the pouring out of that Spirit corporately, together. One day the whole world is going to get a dose, but it's going to come at an incredible cost. A vast majority of the world is not going to come to faith in Christ during those very last days. They're going to be wiped out. They're going to be obliterated that stage i believe is being set i think the world is on a very fast track for the last days and so the question is for you tonight is he your king is he your king because if he's not you can make him king tonight if you're watching online you can make him king tonight if you watch this later and you hear these words, whenever you hear these messages, you can make him king in that moment. If the Lord has not returned for his church, if we're still all here, you can make him king. He has to be your king, though. No. When you get to heaven, you're, you're not going to be asked, was he Jeff's king? Is he your king? Because if he's not your king, then he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah for you. For me, he's coming back as my ruling king. And I'm coming back to rule and reign with him. What the Bible says, and we'll get to that next time. If you want to know peace, you have to know the king. Amen? Would you stand and we're going to pray together? Alex is going to come back up and I want to remind you that knowing the king is probably the simplest thing that you will ever do that will be the most meaningful, meaningful thing that you'll you'll ever do in all of the rest of your eternity. The Bible declares that we have to admit that we're sinners. There's none righteous, not one. Romans chapter 3 says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not anyone who's apart from that. It goes on to declare in chapter 6 of the book of Romans that the wages of that sin is actually death. You have to agree with God on these things. I think that's probably the hardest part for most of us. I don't like to think that I'm a sinner, but I am. I'm still a sinner. I'm just a saved sinner. Amen? I'm a saved sinner by God's grace. And I'm going to heaven because of it. I know the King. I have to believe that Jesus did something to fix that. So there's an A and there's a B. I have to believe that Jesus did something to fix that. God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. His death was because I was ungodly. Romans 5, 8 declares that truth. I I have to believe that. I also have to confess with my own mouth. Nobody else can do it for me. Your mommy can't pray you into heaven. Sorry, I wish it could happen, but it can't. You have to pray you into heaven. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you will do those things, it's an A, it's a B, and it's a C, if you will admit that you're a sinner and you need His grace, if you'll believe in your heart that Christ paid the price for you on Calvary's cross, he died a death for you, he was sinless, you're the sinner. He was raised three days later. He lives forevermore. If you'll confess that, you will be saved. So if you watch this later, if you're watching right now online, cry out to him, just admit it, believe it, confess it and be saved and then when your king comes it's going to be a glorious day amen amen father we thank you in advance lord i thank you for your grace poured out upon my miserable life lord i i admit i readmit tonight that i am a sinner and i am so thankful for your grace that you gave me a very long time ago Lord, I believe, we believe that you are the great king, that you delivered over to death. You were killed in our place on Calvary's cross. We admit that. We believe it. And we confess that you, Jesus, are our Lord and our Savior. Fulfilling that that promise, Lord, to us, that if we'll call upon your name, we'll be saved. Lord, we believe that. We confess that. And so, Lord, when you come, we're going to be coming with you. And we look forward to that day. In the meantime, there are people who don't know you. That's why you've left us here to be salt and light in this world. And so, God, make us busy about your business. Help us to tell everyone about the true King. The king who's the Lion. The coming in Jesus' name.